This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tab, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. Hello and welcome to Pain in the Pod. Today's guest is Jason B. Jones, who created the podcast Knock Knock. Knock Knock is about the unsolved murders of Betty Jones and Catherine Krigler in Starkville, Mississippi in 1990. This podcast is not just another true crime podcast because one of the murder victims, Betty, was Jason's grandmother. And I'm actually friends with the granddaughter of the other murder victim, Catherine. So I remember vividly when this murder happened, and I'm so glad that Jason is working on this podcast and trying to solve the cold case. Jason, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, let's get right into it. You said the purpose of your podcast is twofold. You want to honor the victims and also bring awareness to the case. So tell me the background story of how this all came about and you decided to start this podcast. Yeah, I think that there's there's a couple of origin points for starting this. I think the first one was many years ago, I just Googled my grandmother's name. You know, this had been folklore in my family for you know, since I was 10 years old. And as I became an adult, I just wanted to research where the case was. And through Googling, I realized that there wasn't really any sort of digital footprint for not only this case, but for my grandmother's life. And, you know, for someone who didn't get to know their grandmother as long as um, certainly I would have liked, it was concerning to me that I couldn't find out that information. And I think a lot of us are in that position when we have you know, people in our family who left this earth before the emergence of the internet. So secondly, I, uh, you know, I've told a lot of people that one of the occupational hazards of working in the music business, which is where I work, is that there are times that you don't want to listen to music. And (laughs) that for me occurred during traveling and and commuting. And so I, like uh, much of the nation, really dove in deep into the podcast serial. And I was fascinated by how they told this story of of this true crime case that I wasn't aware of before listening to it. And it was just really interesting how that podcast had spinoff podcasts that were digging further into this story. And it was just really inspiring to see how a community of people who were interested in a common topic could start to really make a difference. And it it wasn't until I listened to a podcast by the name of Up and Vanished, which is there's a guy by the name of Payne Lindsay, and he's uh, out of Atlanta. He's a filmmaker by trade. And I I just as I got to learn more about him and his podcast, I realized that he and I had similar, you know, career paths, you know, in um, media and marketing and I had this moment where I was listening to his podcast and realizing that he was figuring it out as he went. And um, I, I kind of thought, man, I, I might be able to do this too for my grandmother's case. And after talking to a few close friends, I got up the gumption to, to really see if I could make this happen. You mentioned both those podcasts, which I loved. And 
Payne Lindsay, I think, can uh, pave the way for me for the name Payne to be more accepted. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, I was, I was like, yay, great name, Payne Lindsay. I loved both of those <laughs> podcasts as well. So how long have you been working on this? When did this sort of idea get in your brain to when you started putting out the first episode? Yeah, it's, you know, it's been, I, I was looking at the calendar a while back, and it's it's been about a year and a half now since I I first really started getting serious about making a plan to to create this podcast. It uh, the first episode came out on September third of last year, so we're we're reaching the year mark of it being out for the public. And the reason that we launched it on September third was that was at the time the twenty seventh anniversary of my grandmother's death, and the the goal is to you know, to wrap up our first season, you know, in September and then uh, really see where, you know, let 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 what we've done really marinate some and see how the legal system, you know, takes what we've discovered and the things that we've done and and then possibly come back with additional episodes as the case progresses. Well, speaking of the legal system, you know, you talk a lot about familial DNA in regards to this case. And I really loved your guest that you had, Rockney who explained it in sort of a dumbed down way and which I, I needed. And, you know, we've seen how this familial mm-hmm. DNA has solved more and more murders like the Golden State Killer. And do you believe that familial DNA is what will eventually solve this case? I think that it is a tool that has a great potential for solving this case. You know, familial DNA is something that has been pretty prevalent in in the news lately and has been a pivotal tool for solving these decade old cold cases. And it hasn't been used for my grandmother's case. Now, will it solve her case? We are, we are exceedingly hopeful that it will. However, just thinking about Betty's legacy and Catherine's legacy, even if this particular story in their particular case were to usher in familial DNA search in Mississippi and that were to help solve other cases, we consider that a win as well. You know, there's nothing that's going to happen that's going to bring Betty back. And, and we believe that, that Betty, is a, Betty is in a much better place. And, you know, if we can find justice for her, that would be an amazing accomplish, accomplishment. But I think that if Betty was here and she uh, knew that her case were – her case was the catalyst to help solve other cases. I think she would be thrilled with that without that outcome as well. I, I agree. And I, I think she would certainly be super proud of what you and your brother are doing. Now, how old were you when this happened? Because I, I know for me and Juki, we were seniors in college, I believe. Yeah. 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 So I was 10, 10 years old when it happened. And my brother was, uh, he just turned Four, I believe, um, because we, cel- we we were actually in Starkville for the funeral when we celebrated his birthday. Oh, wow. That's quite a memory. I was talking to my daughter, who's 15 in the car, about this podcast this morning. She's a true crime fan, as I am, and we were discussing it, and I said, can you imagine, you know, something so horrible happening to your grandmother, and then later on, all these years later, that you would just, in some, you know, kismet, meet the other victim's grandchild as well. So that's to me is a, is a part of the story that I'm interested in, obviously, because yeah. this is my friend. So just to tell my listeners how the stars aligned and you eventually met Juki. 
Yeah. You know, before I jump into the story, it, it's just this this particular instance in our family's life could be see, seen always through the lens of tragedy. And for most of my life, it was. But what has been really remarkable as we've gone through this journey with the podcast is just the everything that has come up, like the relationships and the connections and these coincidences that, in my opinion, just have to be of divine nature. And that all started when I was getting married. So I got married in, um, I hope I'm getting this right, 2004. <laughs> if my wife's listening to this, I hopefully, hopefully I'm correct. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we were, her mom was planning a bridal shower for her at the school that my mother-in-law taught. Um, and, you know, just because much of her network were the teachers that she worked with. She invited all of the teachers who had watched Rebecca grow up over the years. And so my, my family was in town to celebrate uh, with their new in-laws. And my mom was invited to the bridal shower, of course. And my mom is uh, the type of person that digs in deep pretty much with everybody she knows. She's kind of a natural historian. So as they were just making small talk, she started uh, a conversation with one of my mother-in-law's young teacher friends. And as they just went through the, you know, hi, how are you? Where are you from? They realized that the teacher was from, the, her family was from Starkville and that her maiden name was Krigler. And they had this moment where they put the pieces together that my mom was talking to the granddaughter of the woman who was killed with my grandmother. And, and you have to realize, like we grew up in Texas this happened in Starkville, Mississippi, and my bridal shower was in Nashville, Tennessee. So, like, it was just it. We should have played the lottery on that day because the odds of that happening were so great that we just have to believe that there was there was a um, divine intersection there for sure. I agree. I, I think that story is just unbelievable. And I know that she considers you now to be a, a close friend and your families are friends. And yeah. I mean, I, I do think it's divine intervention. And I, I feel like, you know, through your grandmothers, you've become friends who were no longer with us. I don't know. It's just a, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful part of this tragedy. Now, let's go back to the podcast. You say, you said on your podcast, it takes so many moving parts to make this work. You were joking saying, you know, this may be my last foray into a true crime podcast because you didn't quite know what you're getting yourself into. And also, you're not a, a detective or a true crime expert. So tell me, you know, I know you did a few episodes about each of the women, and then you did some real deep diving, you know, in with the police and the detectives that worked on the case and, of course, the DNA expert. So tell me what it, what it was taking to, to get that stuff done, being that that's not your background. Yeah, so... What I knew that I – my background is in you know, marketing for musicians, and so I knew that what I could do well is craft a compelling story. But what I'm not <laughs> educated or versed in is digging deep into you know, the, the history of this case, the artifacts of this case. And so I, I knew really quickly that I was going to need someone – who was very good at research. And we did an entire, before we even had our first episode, we launched a few what we called pre-production diaries, which chronicled me stumbling into 
figuring out what this podcast was going to be. And, and I hope that I, uh, you know, we were increasing our pr- production value as those diaries came out. I was pretty vulnerable in just talking through the process of how I was stumbling into information. But I would say that there were two things that really began some credibility to our research. And one was I just put on uh, the Mississippi Craigslist that I needed some help going through the archives to find out, you know, if there were articles and documents around my grandmother's case. And there was a a gentleman that reached out to me and said, you know, yeah, I can absolutely do that. And he just happened to work for the university and was very, very good at research. And so we began an email relationship where he was providing me all of these resources and assets that were pivotal in me trying to piece together the narrative. I think secondly was just there's a the the detective that is in charge of the case right now is a gentleman by the name of Sergeant Bill Lott who works for the Starkpole Starkpole Police Department and he has been so forthcoming with all of this information that we've built built up a a, a bit of a relationship where we are now trading information he's keeping me up to date on things that are happening and I'm uh, you know, if, if any leads come along from uh, our podcast, I'm sending them directly to him. So I, I've stumbled backwards into a group of experts that have helped me and this podcast really evolve into what it is. One of the episodes, Sergeant Lott was talking to you, and I, I found him to be so interesting as well. And he was telling you, you know, there's details probably that you don't know because they don't put them out there because, you know, they have to keep things secret so that if they ever do actually find the person. It was interesting how he explained how that works. But I know he said off mic, I'll give you some details and I don't think you want to know. And you went back and forth several times saying, I do want to know. And he's saying, but once you hear it, you cannot unhear it. And then later you did say, you did get the information, and of course, you were disgusted. You were horrified. And do you feel the same way now? Like you're glad you know, or you actually wish you didn't know? Oh, that's a really great question. Um, I think that the storyteller in me is always interested in the details, but the grandson in me wishes that I would forget some of the things that he shared with me. When I came back with that information, I mean, I had nightmares for three days straight because I would say that the normal person is not equipped to hear about the evils of murder, Um, especially when you get into the non-Hollywood versions about how stuff actually happens. And then you, you know, you couple that with having a a, a loving relationship with someone and then learning about how how they ultimately met their end it's disturbing and it's hard to process the only person and the only person i believe that i will ever share it with was i shared it with my brother and you know both he and i agreed that like no one in our family ever needs to know that just because it doesn't it doesn't help anyone, but it, it did get as the storyteller, it did give me uh, additional passion to do everything in my power to make sure that whoever committed this crime was brought to justice. Wow. Wow. That's that's terrible for you. And I'm glad to know that, you know, you shared it with your brother because I, I feel he's been such a integral part of your podcast 
and it's interesting too, him being so young and not necessarily remembering his grandmother as well as you do. And that brings me to my next question. You said that it takes a toll on, you know, you personally week to week to do this. And so how are you holding up on this? And then how is the rest of your family, you know, your parents and your brother and, you know, my friend, and how's everyone holding up with the emotional toll that a podcast like this can take on you? Yeah, you know, I think that I think that time heals all wounds. Um, I think that this for for at least for me and for my immediate family has been has been a healing process. I think my brother in in an episode a couple of episodes back, I think it was in a QA, and a said something that was just so profound to me that he said that if we if we didn't accomplish anything else other than we we created digital memorials to both Betty and Catherine. And for us, like if I ever forgot um, about Betty or Catherine's lives, now I have something to refer to. And I hope that my children would have something to refer to as well. So there's a bit of like closure is the wrong word, but it, it, it there. It feels good that we went through this exercise because it really does feel like for me that I was able to honor her memory in a in a well-crafted and long-lasting way. And so I think we're seeing it through that lens. I also think that there's um, there's a lot of uh, opportunities that are emerging towards really taking this case further and having a more national impact again. And so I think that most of what we're feeling is excitement towards the potential of where this could lead. So I think, you know, we don't we don't spend a lot of time thinking about the the tragedy or the evil. We're all pretty optimistic that this effort will ultimately lead in uh, towards something positive, both for our families and for the state of Mississippi. Well, that's a great segue into my next question. You and your brother said something I found super interesting on one of your last podcasts, which that unsolved crime podcasts are such a, you know, a a big thing now. And you said they're like the technological evolution of the call and tip line. So Mm -hmm. I I thought that, wow, you know, that is exactly what it is. And you said it's crowdsourcing as an investigation tool. I -hmm. mean, there's Reddit pages, there's Facebook pages, there's you know, everyone's trying to solve these things, you know, which is which is great. So have you had some tips come in since you started that you felt were valuable or like, hey, this is really something or you can imagine the person who had to actually sit and listen to the calls to the old timey tip line. And you're like, well, this person's like a kook. <laughs> this person's a kook, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I think we have a little of both. I think that uh, I, we don't have anybody that I would say is a is a is a kook so far. But what we do have a lot of is we have a lot of people that are convinced that uh, previous suspects are the killer. You know, like it's it's a lot of of emails and messages that are kind of rehashing the long-standing um, assumptions about the case. And, you know, one of the things that I committed to really early on in creating this podcast is that this podcast was, I would say, unlike uh, Payne Lindsay's uh, podcast, that we weren't going to go into the suspects at all. Like, that was just not something I wanted to do. Because in the long run, if you're wrong, you've put someone's name out there and continued 
you know, a, a ser- I mean, I imagine some of these suspects that were identified from the beginning are just tired of hearing this, and they've been disqualified from a DNA perspective. So bringing those people up and again over and over, I just don't think is fair to them. And so ultimately, our goal was to continue to just talk about the facts of the case and talk about ways forward, really tangible ways to give law enforcement additional tools in order to be able to find the real culprit of this murder. And so anytime we have those tips come in, that's why that relationship between me and Sergeant Lott is so key is that I'm sending those directly to him. And there have been a few, like there have been a few that that he's looked into and ultimately disqualified, but it has been really cool to see people's interests and that they're on their own time digging in and looking into genealogy and looking into, you know, yearbooks and newspaper clippings. It's it's encouraging to see that people are taking a genuine interest in their case. Oh, sure. And I imagine if you lived in Starkville at that time or if you still live in Starkville now, you would for sure want it to be solved because that person could very well be your next door neighbor and you have no idea. You know, I, I find yeah. it really scary that someone could commit a crime like as horrible as that and then never do it again? I think yeah. probably not. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we believe that as well. I mean, there's just there's just no way, especially knowing what I know about the graphic nature of this murder is that, you know, th- this is not someone that just did this once, you know. And so one of the things that when we were talking about this podcast, that was an additional sort of idea that we had is that I'm, I'm confident that there are other people that are sitting around living rooms, sitting around dining room tables who are wondering whatever happened to their loved one. And if we can find this killer or if we can uh, introduce new tools that allow law enforcement to find other killers, just the peace and closure that we can give to additional families, I mean, like I said, that makes it worth it to me. And I think that uh, I think it would make it worth it to Betty as well. That's great. Well, you know, you you mentioned um, Payne Lindsay and also Serial a couple of times. So this is a question I'm going to ask all my guests, which is, what are you listening to? So if you're driving in your car and you don't want to listen to music and you don't want to listen to your own podcast, what are you listening to as far as podcasts go? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My my taste is uh, kind of all over the place, but I'll, I'll tell you the two that, that I've been just fascinated with as of late. One is... Um, uh, a Crime Town podcast called the RFK Tapes, really great. I mean, Crime Town; those guys are super pros, and uh, and they're doing a deep dive on the murder of Robert F. Kennedy, and it's just really fascinating. Uh, I've liked it a lot. And then the other one um, that <laughs> is more for the creator in me is a podcast about the creation of the movie Jaws. It's it's from Wondery, and it's called Inside Jaws, and talks about the whole story of how, uh, you know, Steven Spielberg made the movie Jaws and the risk that was involved in it. Those are two of my favorite. And then there's another podcast that I've been listening to a lot uh, called Running Club Records. Uh, that's more for the music industry side of me. That is, um, it's about the uh, creation of this record label in the UK called Running Club Records. And uh, it's all sort of from the perspective of the founder. And it's, yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it's a really good podcast. I um, recently listened to the Chappaquiddick 
uh, podcast. It was People yeah. Mag- People Magazine did that one. And it was great. It was really great. I didn't see the movie or anything. And that was really good. So I think I'll definitely give this Crime Town RFK one a listen. And this is funny that you said Inside Jaws because I recently interviewed Sean Kilby, who has a podcast called Hold Up, Hold Up. And he mm-hmm. was talking about Jaws. Does it hold up? You know, that's the yeah. best idea. And uh, he, he says it does. He says he thought it was going to be look fake and he said it did not look fake but the only thing that occurred to him mostly was the shark is not that big as what you mm-hmm. f- remember as a kid mm-hmm. and so that that's fine I'm like okay I've talked about Jaws now twice in one week and this is bringing back my childhood fear uh, which <laughs> right. is why I literally don't go in the ocean up to just maybe my ankles because I'm scared I'm scared of Jaws <laughs> I'm scared of Jaws at the um, Outer Banks in North Carolina it's crazy Okay, that's fascinating. So I wrote this down. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a listen to those. And now I know that you are very busy. You have some new additions to your family, but yeah. will there be another season of Knock Knock? Yeah. So you know, we uh, when we started this, we wanted to paint a complete picture, and we were looking at somewhere between six to eight episodes. I think we're going to end with seven for this first season, and I think that we're leaving the option for a season two open. I think that I I don't have an interest in pursuing another case, Um, so Knock Knock will, in its current iteration, will always be about Betty and Catherine's case, and so, but I could absolutely see a season two coming up if we you know, are able to make some progress on familial DNA or additional forensic tools and uh, you know, make progress in the case, I would, I would absolutely cover what happens going forward. Well, that would be great if, if there is any movement in the case or anybody arrested and you reported on that. That would be fantastic so we could all continue to be updated. Now, tell my listeners where they can find you and find out more about your podcast and you know, your social media handles and all that jazz. Sure. Yeah. Um, you can find us at knockknockpodcast.com. There's links to every one of our episodes with additional documents and resources that you can dig into. Um, you can find us on iTunes and Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcast. And all of our socials uh, are knockknockpod. Um, we also have a call-in line at one 57 betty where you can call in with any questions or comments and we include those comments and questions in our Q&A episodes. So, yeah, we, we, we love to hear from people, uh, whether it's just, um, you know, constructive criticism, you know, comments and questions or, you know, affirmation is always cool, too. So, uh, yeah, we'd love to have you engage with us. Yeah, I love those Q&As that you do after each episode. So we say seven episodes, but really it's more like 14. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much. I appreciate this. And I really think you've done an amazing job honoring the legacy of these two women. And I'm, I'm thrilled about it. So please keep everybody posted if anything comes up that we need to know. Yeah, thank you. That that means a lot. You know, we I, I tried to make it really clear from the beginning that I was certainly not the most equipped to be able to do this. Like we, we've talked about some, you know, titans in the true crime podcast industry, but I felt like at the end of the day that if if I didn't really take the baton and tell Betty and Catherine's story, I was worried that no one else would. So I, I'm I'm honored to do it, and uh, I'm so thankful to take the time to talk with you about uh, what we're doing here. Okay, thanks, Jason. I'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks. Take care.